Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Doohan, and joining me this segment is Daniel Jaffe, author of Unbottled, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Today, we're going to talk about the bottled water crisis. Daniel, first of all, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Doug. It's great to great to join you. Can I just start by asking the biggest question? Um, because we seem to be incredibly reliant on plastic water bottles. How did that end up happening in this nation? That riddle is one of the main questions that underlies this book, Unbottled, uh, with the University of California Press. And I, among other things, wanted to understand the sort of paradox of the rapid growth in the U.S., places, other countries with uh, widespread access to largely safe uh, tap water. Um, what accounts for the dramatic growth of uh, this product to the point where Almost 90% of Americans say they consume some bottled water, and a fifth of Americans consume only bottled water. They shun the tap entirely for drinking. Um, I am old enough to know, remember when I was a kid, uh, there was no such thing as a, a bottled plastic bottled water, and it... Uh, Americans consume two gallons per capita when I was when I was uh, in grade school, uh, Perrier and heavy glass bottles. Um, and today we're at over 47 gallons per capita on average. So I, in the book, talk first about how we got here, focusing on the U.S. just for a moment. Um, I'd say the meteoric growth of this product in the U.S. is due both to a combination of cultural and social shifts, uh, people working away from the home, demands for convenience, interest in fitness and health, but also to marketing, marketing from the beverage and bottled water industry that has subtly or overtly cast doubt on the safety of public tap water, and that sort of both feeds and benefits from growing public fears of the tap. So that's the starting place. Can I, can I ask, uh, is this a problem that is exclusive to America or North America, or is this a problem that is global? And if and if so, are there places that aren't as reliant on plastic water bottles than us? And how are they doing? The spread of bottled water, and I also use the term packaged water because it captures the other forms that uh, that this product comes in around the world, um, is a global phenomenon. And the industry is a global one. It is led by four really large companies, familiar household names, Nestle, Coke, Pepsi, and Dannon, the biggest firms. Um, it is widespread, and uh, there are parts of the world that consume even more than the U.S. does. Mexico, Italy, uh, more per capita. Um, China is the world's largest consumer volume-wise of bottled water, uh, about a quarter of the 120 billion gallons that were consumed worldwide in 2021. Um, uh, the industry is a $300 billion industry now, and in the U.S., revenue is about $40 billion. So uh, it's worldwide. Uh, some countries, our neighbor to the north, Canada, consumes about a little less than half of what the U.S. does. So there's certainly a lot of variation, but it is... Uh, widespread. And the other thing that really surprised me and fascinated me as I got into doing the research for this book was that it turns out that bottled water is also deeply connected to the um, growth of inequality in the, U in the United States, and particularly both income and racial inequality, racial and ethnic inequality. And I sort of traced the way that bottled water is linked to our growing crisis of um, disinvestment in our public tap water systems and growing distrust 
in public tap water. And I argue, among other things, that bottles water's ready availability and that growing dependence on it in some places and among some groups of population um, is uh, uh, exacerbating social injustice and is a threat to the meeting the human right to water. So ignoring the, you know, obvious crises like Flint, Michigan, like let's take the the worst of the worst out of the equation. The big question here is bottled water actually safer than tap water? Let's start with, it's an important question. Let's start with uh, the uneven playing field I write about in terms of how bottled water and tap water are regulated. Um, the uh, tap water supplies, public water supplies uh, around the U.S. are regulated by the Environmental Protection Agency, Environmental Protection Agency EPA, uh, and uh, very strict regulations. The bottled water industry, in contrast, is regulated by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. It's treated as a foodstuff. And while they're both subject to the same limits in terms of contaminant levels, I write that the difference between FDA and EPA regulation is really effectively the difference between night and day. Uh, the uh, bottled water industry is not required to uh, publicize when results of uh, water tests come back with problems. Um, it is much more difficult for the consuming public to find out when there have been problems detected in bottled water. The FDA is significantly understaffed and uh, staffing is even going down over time. So inspections are less frequent. And in general, consumers are less likely to find out if there are problems with their bottled water, whereas the tap water utilities have to test the water dozens or hundreds of times daily. And the Safe Drinking Water Act requires them to tell consumers right away if problems are found. Um, and that tends to contribute to a pattern of increasing distrust in tap water. However, it's also important to be real about the genuine challenges to tap water and public water systems here in the US. We have a problem of profound uh, disinvestment by the federal government in our public water infrastructure. Since the late 1970s, funding has gone down nearly 80% uh, adjusted for inflation. And the responsibility for fixing and maintaining tap water systems and keeping water quality high has been pushed down onto states and onto cities. They do their very best, and many of them do an incredible job, but they have had to raise water rates in order to compensate. And that is what's leading to um, soaring water bills in most parts of the country. So then where does the the water in these water bottles come from? How do, how do corporations get their hands on it? Well, worldwide, a little less than um, uh, a little a little less than half of all bottled water comes from groundwater from springs here in the U.S. Uh, Many folks aren't aware that a significant majority of the bottled water sold on the shelves actually is taken from tap water systems. It is extracted from the public water supply, uh, nearly two thirds filtered uh, minerals stripped out uh, to remove the taste. Companies then sort of add in proprietary mineral mixes to give it their trademark taste so that, for example, the Sami tastes the same in Texas as it does in Washington state. And um, and then it is sold. So the large majority of it is actually coming from the public water supply. And then a bit more than a third is coming out of groundwater from springs uh, and other sources. I feel like this just validates a really good uh, Lewis Black comedy sketch where he talks about a couple in Pittsburgh filling it up in their bathtub and then we're buying it hand over fist. 
Um, on top of the fact that, you know, this this is using basically the same water supplies, the, the elephant in the room is the pollution that we're uh, also contributing to. How much would you say that the plastic water and also other uh, methods of water delivery in this uh, is contributing to mostly what is seeming like a runaway plastic water, uh, plastic waste crisis? Well, this is the aspect of the bottled water phenomenon that I think most people are aware of to some extent, how it links into the um, the problem of uh, the, the, the massive global problem, really, of plastic pollution and plastic waste. Uh, we have a situation where 600 to 700 billion single-use plastic bottles are consumed every year, and the vast majority of those are not being recycled. Um, because bottled water is the world's largest packaged beverage, it is responsible for the largest share of that bottle waste, um, about a, a little over a third of the total. And it turns out that unsurprisingly, beverage bottles and caps are the number one marine garbage item worldwide, constituting under one study about 50% of all marine garbage. Um, and so they are a significant part of the plastic waste problem. Um, and then overall, the environmental impact of plastic bottled water is quite significant. People are probably aware um, that depending on the study, uh, it, the energy impact of bottled water is somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 times higher than the same volume of tap water. Another study said the overall environmental impact is between uh, 1,400 and 3,500 times more. So it is significant and it does have uh, the production of plastic, obviously, greenhouse gas impact. Um, so the environmental impact is is better known and it, it is an important aspect of the of the of the crisis. So let me play devil's advocate then for just a, a second. Now, I mentioned we were going to ignore Flint. We're not going to ignore Flint. There's places around this country that don't have access or have had long standing issues where they don't have access to clean drinking water through their taps um, in situations like that. Is there a better answer than bottled water uh, other than uh, the obvious answer of fixing the infrastructure? It's important to reckon with the very significant impact of tap water emergencies like that in Flint, like the one in Jackson, Mississippi, that's gone on for several years now and other parts of the country. And those emergencies are very serious and they indisputably raise public fears on, on a much more broad geographic area about the quality of tap water. Let me start with how, and in those emergency situations, of course, the populations absolutely need an alternative source of drinking water until the problems can be fixed. Uh, I'll talk about Flint for a moment. The question is, I guess, what happens, and I raise this question in the book, what happens beyond the immediate short-term emergency? Um, what happens when we're looking at the, the, the medium term, the crisis lasts a few years? In Flint, the one public response, the only alternative drinking water source offered by government was, and you saw the images, hundreds of millions of individual bottles of uh, plastic single-serve bottled water. Uh, and those images circulated around the world and they had a significant impact. I think they were a, a PR windfall for the industry. But it turns out if you dig deeper, the story gets more complex and a little more interesting. Uh, residents and, and activist groups in Flint actually wanted a disaster declaration from the federal government that would have 
classified Flint as a disaster and qualified them for bulk water tankers of a safe alternative water source that would enable residents to fill up their containers. That declaration was denied. And so for the duration, these individual bottles became the sole focus. That is true in drinking water crises around the world. And one thing I argue is that we are capable of and have to develop the capacity for alternative forms of emergency water. Now, moving beyond the emergency, as I said, we have a massive disinvestment in our public water supply. And uh, despite that, uh, local utilities are largely able to keep water very healthy. But health violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act do affect somewhere between 7 and 8% of U.S. water systems in any given year. A lot of those uh, violations are rapidly fixed, but they are real. And the real kicker here is that these water quality problems are not uh, randomly distributed and they're not uh, evenly distributed. They are overwhelmingly concentrated in particular kinds of communities. And perhaps not surprisingly, those communities are low-income communities, um, rural communities with issues around uh, agricultural pollution or, or industrial pollution, um, groundwater contamination from bacteria, uh, leaking septic tanks, and um, and cities with lead or other chemicals leaching from aging pipes. Overwhelmingly, these problems impact uh, communities of color and low-income communities. So we have a water justice crisis in the United States. Bottled water and bottled water use and dependency on bottled water is a symptom of that crisis. And it is indeed true that uh, the people who are most concerned about the safety of their tap water in the U.S. and who turn to bottled water the most are communities of color and low-income communities, particularly Black and Latino, Latina families. They, on average, spend uh, much more on bottled water despite on average being uh, less able to afford that extra spending. And then, so I argue in the book that dependency on bottled water, whatever the cause, is a marker of water injustice. It's a sign that the human right to water, a right that was declared by the United Nations back in 2010, is being abridged or being violated or not being met. I wasn't aware. I mean, I'm aware of like public pushback against bottling of water and bottled water, but I didn't realize that there were social movements challenging the growth of bottled water industry. Can you talk to me about those and what they're doing about the issue? Right. So that's the heart of this book, Unbottled, and I'm really glad you asked. Um, while the growth of bottled water across society might seem unstoppable, inexorable, um, I write that movements pushing back or challenging the spread of this product across society are actually, it turns out, succeeding in many places. Um, they are sort of operating at two ends. I talk about the two facets of these movements, um, a loose amalgamation of movements. Um, there are those who are working at the water extraction end, so communities where uh, bottled water companies, the bottled water industry is wants to uh, pump groundwater from local springs or is continuing to do so or wants to expand. And uh, those places tend to be largely rural. And then another facet of pushback has happened at the consumption end, sort of um, a movement that I call, this facet of it I call uh, reclaiming the tap. 
And um, that is a really fascinating constellation of efforts at the level of individual cities, individual municipalities, schools, universities, places where um, local government officials, nonprofits, environmental groups, university students, and others um, have mobilized to say, hey, we don't need to be using public funds in a place where tap water is reliable and clean. We don't need to be using public funds to be purchasing bottled water, safe for city government offices. Um, we shouldn't be selling it in city parks. And a growing movement of cities um, uh, prohibiting uh, municipal governments from buying it, uh, banning its sale on public property like public parks, uh, people having public events in parks need to instead hook up to the water supply and provide tap water in refillable bottles. And this is linked to the refilling movement that many people might be quite familiar with. And the flip side of restricting bottled water sort of purchasing and sale is, of course, expanding or re-expanding access to clean drinking water in public places. And this is where I think some of the most hopeful and exciting activity is happening with cities from uh, San Francisco to New York to Berlin to Sydney. And I talk about a whole range of examples around the world who are building out networks of shiny new uh, lead filtering uh, water fountains, uh, bottle refilling stations, places you can fill up your bottle. And that sort of ties in with this growing interest in refillable bottles, people carrying the bottles with them. Something like 60% of Americans now say they carry a refillable bottle with them, and they're really interested in finding places to get access to water. And we've seen in just the last five years or so the development of uh, smartphone apps that can help people find those sites. There's a group in based in the UK called Refill that has an app that now is global, and it lists 300,000 places to find free tap water. Sometimes it's businesses that will let you fill up your bottle for free without buying anything. Sometimes it's a public park or a library. That movement is, I think, really taking root. And um, it its success is is concerning to the industry. In fact, that some reports on uh, from the bottled water industry and some statements uh, by uh, industry executives indicate that that is a concern. I quote one uh, sustainability manager from Nestle saying, quote, the bottle of water has in some ways become the mink coat or the pack of cigarettes. It's socially not very acceptable to the young folks, and that scares me, unquote. And you see the same message in industry reports as well. So this movement for refilling, especially strong among young folks, is starting to have an impact. And as a last item on that question, I'll just say I looked just last week at the newest statistics on the growth of bottled water sales in the U.S. And for the first time since the Great Recession, uh, bottled water sales barely grew. And by one statistic, they've even shrunk a little bit. Uh, some of the reason for that very likely is the uh, the refilling movement and the, and the and the resurgence of tap water. You know, I find that incredibly interesting. And, and, you know, personal experience is entirely anecdotal. So there's no like any scientific weight behind this. But just personally, um, I've used refillable bottles for like 15 years. And I've noticed, especially around the Seattle area, I see a lot of those. Now, you talk about the drinking fountains is interesting to me, like because I think a big issue is a lot of these drinking fountains have been there for decades and decades. And you push the button and the water barely gets out. Um, it maybe sometimes doesn't look very good because the, it's the same piping. So I think replacing 
is as or or upgrading at the very least is as important as the refillable bottle and i love the idea of apps pointing you to these places because that is a big question sometimes too especially in a downtown environment where am i going to find water to refill this if i'm not at work or i'm not you know at a place that i'm familiar with um so i think those are all great things that are happening on a community level now from an individual aspect what can a person do uh, if they want to help in this and i'm and not talking from like um social movements but just on an, an individual choice basis what can a person do are you suggesting uh, home water filters if you don't like the taste of your tap water what do you suggest for dealing with questions or concerns about individual water quality um i want to make clear that i very much uh and understand and I'm concerned with people's very genuine fears about what it is they're drinking. The standard recommendation is to read your local water utilities uh, water report, which is publicly available online. Many advocates recommend if people have concerns with taste or quality to get a uh, on faucet um, lead removing uh, NSF certified uh, water filter. Um, many people have those already. Uh, and certainly to get information and find out what's going on, being aware that at the same time, there is an inability to find out the similar, the, the analogous information about the safety or quality of one's bottled water. But beyond that, I need to push back a tiny bit because I think we'll never really solve this problem only at the individual protective level or the family protective level. So I would encourage folks beyond that step to A, look into where these apps to find uh, the hundreds of thousands of refilling stations or refill points that are available. Beyond that, the interesting thing and the exciting thing about local politics is that it is an arena where change is more possible. And I think that city government, county government, uh, really interesting place. And it could begin with restoring uh, water fountains to schools. Um, Great example in Detroit. Detroit detected lead in its school tap water back in uh, 2018, shut off all the fountains. But instead of keeping them off and having their kids depend long term on bottled water, instead, the superintendent invested $3 million in brand new shiny refilling stations for all of the schools, gave every one of the 50,000 students in the Detroit public schools a metal refillable water bottle. And They've got safe water because they're lead filtering uh, stations, and that has restored a culture of public drinking water. And I really see this as promising because it does help restore that uh, culture of public water, uh, a, a, a culture of a shared infrastructure that we all possess. We and our ancestors have paid for it through decades and centuries of taxes and water rates, and it is imperative to reinvest in public water systems around the country so that drinking water can once again be reliably safe and affordable for everyone i love it uh so daniel jaffe again author of the book unbottled the fight against plastic water and for water justice uh tell me uh, about the book where can people get it the book is available. It can be purchased from University of California Press online, ucpress.edu, or from your favorite independent bookstore. 
that that one I like the favorite independent bookstore. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to have this con- conversation with me. I find it very important and I really appreciate all of your insights. Thanks so much, Doug. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And thank you for listening. Conversations is a public affairs program of this station.